David Locke. Ben Golliver. It's Thursday. Oh, my God. We usually do Locked on NBA today. Should we just chat, or what should we do? Well, you should let me grill you about your last week. That's what we should do. But it's so great to hear your voice, man. I was uh, sitting over here, I'll be honest, a little bit nervous uh, seeing everything that happened. And, uh, of course, I, I heard your other you know, podcast interview and everything else. But, man, it's good to hear your voice. I think everybody was more nervous than I was. I never felt that. I don't know if I'm ignorant or stupid or just being optimistic because it's your own life. But I never felt that, like... I mean, there was a moment, I think, where I was like picking up the phone to call my wife to tell her that that I guess at that point we knew Rudy had tested positive. And so I was telling her, um, you know, that I, you know, but I didn't even know at that point, like whether I'd been exposed or anything. And so um, like I actually I mean, I think that moment I was had a brief moment where I was like, uh oh, and then. Kind of like that. And then I realized that if I showed that kind of weakness to my wife, she'd like scream it. You know, she'd like buck up. Right. Like what's wrong with you? Right. <laughs> She's way stronger than I am. So, um, you know, it's interesting. We'll see over time what we all I mean, I don't think we know anything still. So we'll see over time. But I um, I I never felt that like I, it's clear from like your messages, which I appreciate and everybody else's who I still never have gotten back to that everybody else was really, really concerned for me. And I appreciate that. And maybe it was just survival instinct. And maybe it was the, how well we were being taken care of by the jazz and people in Oklahoma that you just, I don't know. I just kind of ro- rolling with it. I mean, it was unique. Don't misunderstand. Like anybody who's in our business is somewhat of a control freak. And you had to concede that you were no longer in control of your life for a little while. And you just didn't know for how long. Right. Yeah, well, so I've had a couple, unfortunately, a couple of medical, serious medical situations in my life. And every time I, I can actually relate to what you're saying, because I've kind of just gotten blissful. And I think the, the reality sets in of like, yeah, you're not in control anymore. This is kind of in God's hands or the doctor's hands. And like, you just kind of have to lay back and let it happen. And I imagine you had that similar feeling when the people in the hazmat suits are coming towards you asking for your swab or whatever. <laughs> you were probably like, well, nothing really I could do right now. Might as well just follow their instructions, right? And there, and there is a little bit as a reporter that you're like, which I think is all of our instincts. Obviously, I've kind of moved out of reporter role and into, you know, radio play-by-play announcer and NBA analyst kind of guy. But you do, you're like taking it all in, right? Like the woman comes to me wearing her little mask and like, wow, what is it like? Wow, this is going to be interesting. Like, what is this test going to be like? What is this test? And and all these different things, you're taking it all in. So, yeah, I, you know, I we were taken care of wonderfully. Um, you know, we all, but two, but one of us tested negative. So, you know, our thoughts were Donovan, but otherwise was good. And, you know, I the story came out today, like a Denver Nugget person is tested and, and like, my wife, who was a longtime reporter also, I, I said, oh, Nugget. She's like, this should not be a story anymore. She's like, every organization is going to have somebody who's testing. Like, are, are we just going to, like, reveal, wait until we reveal all 30 teams have someone? Like, it's it's just going to happen. Like, I don't even know why it's a news story. It was kind of interesting. She's like, why is that even a news story anymore? Well, yeah, we had the same conversation actually at the Post in terms of how to handle that one. And it's like, well, you know, if it's not a player, or not a high-profile player, now that you've had a couple of pretty high-profile fo- uh, players announce that they're uh, positive for it, um, does it even really meet our guideline for what we would con- you know, deem to be like sort of a national newsworthy story? Can I ask you one question about the whole uh, thing in Oklahoma City? Sure. At what moment did you realize that this was going to trigger – the season being suspended because you're right in the middle of it 
And I, someone actually texted me before the news broke saying that he uh, had tested positive, and I didn't believe it. At first, I was just kind of in that stunned uh, state of shock. And so not until the NBA actually sent the press release, and the news had already been reported about his uh, positive test publicly, did it actually dawn on me that, like, okay, this is the straw that kind of broke the camel's back, so to speak? Did you have that moment when you were right there in the middle of it, or were you so consumed by other stuff? So on Monday of that week on the Lockdown Podcast Network, we had held a call about if one player tests positive, it's over. Right. Um, so it definitely was in my mind as the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network of like thinking about programming and what we're doing and all these kind of things. So when they left the floor and you knew something was going on, but you didn't know what... Um. You know, I didn't know what that, I didn't know what was, ha- I didn't know what had happened. Um, but with all the news that was around, you didn't know if it was, you know, you just didn't know, right? I mean, there was this unique thing that this guy had run out on the floor. And so like the first yeah. thing I checked was like our other games going on. Like I thought maybe every, something had happened. You didn't know it happened in our arena, right? You didn't know that it was like, it could have happened. Something outside in the NBA could have happened that caused this guy to run on the floor and say, Hey, nobody's playing anymore. Right. And then we saw other games were still going on. Actually, Ron Boone was kind of the first one. Like, are other games going on? And then, and then, I, I, so I don't know your answer. I mean, certainly once we told, we're, I don't, I don't, rem- I don't have an answer to that question. I, I do know that um, it's a unique experience to be watching the world cover an event while you're in the middle of it. Like that, I'm not, I've, I mean, I've had that, you know, you kind of feel that way when you're covering the NBA Finals, but you're the ones covering it. I felt it a little bit with Kobe's final game, and I feel like I've had it one other time in my life. I remember kind of saying that before. I don't remember what it is now. But it did definitely feel this kind of weirdness to living in the middle of a news story. And literally, like, and literally felt like you were in the middle of it, too, because we were in this room. They, They found a really nice room for us, so we were perfectly comfortable. But you literally felt like, you're in this room without windows. So you literally felt as though like the world around you was reporting on your life and you were in the middle of it. It was weird. That was weird. Man. So is there anything else in your life where you've been that close to the biggest story in the world? Because I think at that very moment, given the implications to all of professional sports across the country, how all the leagues shut down, you were the top story in the entire world, right? I I think Uh, so. Number one at that moment, have you ever been, in a similar situation in your life. I don't know what I would compare it to really. I mean, other than the, you know, being at NBA finals games or, or something like that, I don't think I've been in a situation like that. I can't imagine that I have. Um, so yeah, I, I think the answer is no, I can't imagine that I have um, just, just because of that. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, I also think like, I'm not sure that Rudy Gobert's positive test will go into a history book, but like, I think this will be written about the same way the 1918 you know, pandemic is written about like you, like that was something I had in my history, you know, like I came across that in a history book. Right. I think, I think this is going to be significant enough. It's in our history books. So you're in that, in that sense, I, I can't imagine I've ever had anything else that's history book worthy. I don't know. Well, I mean, from a sports history book perspective though, it's like, if this is the first NBA season ever not to crown a champion, like, you know, Rudy Gobert's test is going to be almost the lead of that section, right? So, 
I mean, in our in our world, I, I understand, you know, greater U.S. history is going to probably lead with something different in terms of the number of deaths and the number of infected cases and the presidential response and everything else. But there's no question from the, the sports t- storytelling uh, standpoint. I mean, I never thought we were going to eclipse the Hong Kong controversy and uh, Kobe Bryant's death in terms of like import of a story for this season. And yet I would say that this uh, this coronavirus crisis easily surpasses that in terms of the magnitude of people impacted, uh, in terms of the wide re- uh, ranging implications in American society, in terms of the economic and financial implications that we've already seen here in the, the last couple of weeks. I mean, it's really hard to wrap your mind around how big this thing is. Well, it's interesting you, as the Washington Post national NBA writer, like you haven't covered a game in a while. No, and I've been working harder than ever, Locke. I mean, I'm not trying to whine about it, but, uh, I mean, the Post has taken this thing very, very seriously. And part of the reason why I say it's so hard to wrap your mind around it is I've probably already written three or four coronavirus stories. We've got hundreds of writers, and I bet you they've all written a couple, uh, you know, as well. And it could be the health uh, page. You know, it could be the style page. It could be um, the living section. I mean, everybody is is, uh, touched by this in one way or another. And it's not like we're – reaching for stories either i mean there's direct implications in terms of for example how nba players had access to tests and and the average person doesn't i mean that's a story that kind of uh you know rings true with a lot of people across the country if they're worried about their loved ones uh just you know the the benefits that access uh, can provide you or celebrity can provide you i mean that's a, a pretty big story and i spent some time working on that one this week um but you know it goes right down the list in terms of like hey what are guys going to be doing for the next couple of months. Like they can't safely work out in team practice facilities. Um, you know, a lot of guys didn't want to be held hostage, quote unquote, in their, in their team's market. They wanted to be able to go home and be with their families, which is a completely understandable impulse during the crisis. Are you going to be able to bring them back together for a postseason? I mean, we've got an endless string of questions. Another big one for me, frankly, is the salary cap lock. Because if you look back at the last 35 years of NBA history, the salary cap is just going up basically every single year with one or two exceptions. Now you're looking at a situation where all these teams have planned for that cap to be one number. They've paid long-term contracts to a lot of players, uh, you know, expecting that growth to continue. And now we're in a situation where it may fall back in historic fashion uh, after this, uh, you know, after this suspension. So uh, there's a lot going on here, even if there aren't games. And I'll be honest, man, this has been a long season going all the way back to that China controversy that I mentioned. Um, you know, I, I'm not so upset that we have to hit the pause button on this season, right? Like I would love for them to be able to pull this back together and crown a champion and have a playoffs, however they possibly can do it. But this season has really felt like a roller coaster that was kind of out of control. So the fact that we're on a little hiatus here, to me, frankly, it's kind of like a little welcome break. All right, let's touch on a bunch of those things. Ben Golliver with us. It is Locked On uh, NBA Thursday edition of the show. Postmates has a deal uh, for Locked On listeners right now that might be able to help you out considering, uh, you know, hopefully you're not heading out and about and doing all those kind of things right now. So here's what we've got for you. Uh, Download the Postmates app and then... The deal from Postmates is the following. $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. That's LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. It's anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmates. So check out the Postmates app. 
uh, get your food delivered, allows you to take care of your social distancing and do all those kind of things um, as you as you may. So Locked On NBA gets you $100 of free delivery credit for the first seven days to start your free deliveries. Download the app, use the promo code Locked On NBA. No more trips to the store, no more late night food runs. Uh, you don't even have to worry about lunch, frankly. Postmates will take care of that for you. Locked on NBA gets you $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchases for the first seven days when you download the Postmates app. All right, let's get to the salary cap because that's interesting and it's basketball. I believe the way the existing broadcast contracts are written is if something of this sort happens, because I remember this from the lockout, that they are able to do make goods over a long period of time for the term of the deal. And the deals don't end out till 24, 25, right? So I right, actually yeah, they, think, they're, they're relatively new. So I actually don't think the league gets a financial hit on their TV deals right now on the national scale. Now, local deals for each individual owner might be really different. And gate revenue for every owner is certainly... A, you know, a loss. It's over a million dollars every time you miss a game. But the TV deal, which I think is is actually, they get make goods over several, over the term of the deal is what I remember what they've done in these deals. And I, I they've always done that for lockout uh, protection, but it's turning out to be valuable now. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, you know, I, the main thing that we're looking at right now, I think is that gay stuff that you mentioned, right? And so if you're talking about, one million dollars or more, uh, up to three, you know, three and a half million dollars, depending on the arena, for each game that is uh, postponed or ultimately potentially canceled, and then arguably even a little bit more per game once you get into the playoffs. That just adds up like fairly quickly, right? And um, you saw the the news this week that Adrian Wojnarowski reported for ESPN about the, the NBA owners, uh, you know, increasing their credit limit as a sign of kind of a financial maneuver to kind of prepare themselves here. Uh, in the short term to uh, you know be able to kind of continue with the costs that, that are associated with running the business while they don't have that revenue necessarily coming in. Um, you know, this isn't a crisis, right? But it's just a game changer. And I think it's important to kind of look back like, I mean, remember the, the cap spike with Kevin Durant, uh, that allowed him to go to the Golden State Warriors and it set the, t- uh, the terms really for the next three or four years in the NBA by them being able to put that super team together. I mean, you can draw a direct line between, Hey, the salary cap goes way up and now teams are able to you know, do things. Maybe they couldn't before. What we'll have to see is, is there an opposite effect? If the cap does not, maybe it's not going to plunge, but it will go down considerably. Uh, does that wind up impacting, uh, you know, financial decisions? Are some teams placed into the luxury tax who weren't expecting to be in the luxury tax? And now they've got to try to find a way to trim salary are some of these max pairings between guys wound up kind of broken up because teams decide, Hey, like, you know, the, the cap number is lower. It's so hard to, you know, build a supporting cast. Maybe we have to trade away one of our stars or, or one of our core players. I mean, these are just the kinds of decisions that wouldn't have even been on the table, right? If it was just a normal financial year that maybe now do start to, to, uh, you know, percolate to the surface. And I think the other big thing, of course, is this summer's free agents. Now, it's not a great market, and everybody knows that. Not a lot of big names. But you're going to find it very difficult uh, for those guys to get real, uh, you know, big-time contracts this summer because there's just not going to be as much available cap space uh, as people thought there would be. So 
I think you could actually see a lot of guys taking one-year deals this summer and just kind of hoping that the economic picture gets back to normal uh, the following year. Uh, I could see that being you know, one compensatory uh, adjustment uh, by the players. Okay, there's so many layers to this. There's schedule. There's individual owners' wealth, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot of stories about the Houston Rockets owner right now and what he's deciding to do with his hotels. And he was one of them. Oh, and, I know. And he, and he was one. It's interesting, right? Because in the context of that, he was one of the owners who said that he didn't want to play without fans. So clearly the gate number was very important to him. Um, you know, so, I mean, I think the question, so let's try to break it down. I mean, the first question is we're going through a new economic situation. The league may have had far less revenue. I I think it feels if we start like Adam Silver seemed to, I don't know if Adam Silver implied it or somebody else did. I mean, it doesn't sound like we're talking about anything earlier than mid June to late June right now. Do you agree with that? Like that seems to be the feeling or do you think there's a possibility Uh, of something sooner? I mean, there, there's no way they're out for two months for sure because of the CDC guideline. And then I think that there, there's concern that, the, the level of the virus still in that early June time period will make it difficult. So I think their best case scenario right now is basically three months plus no fans once that three-month time period is up, which is not that good of a scenario, but it's better than nothing, right? So, all right, so let's – so there's an economic – like how much do you think this has an impact on franchises just because the ownership of some teams don't have the capability to financially do what they were doing beforehand? Right. Well, I mean, look, it is one of the biggest differentiators in the NBA during good times, right? Is your owner willing to pay the luxury tax? Is he willing to fund a brand new practice facility? Is he going to give you the types of competitive advantages that modern superstars want when they're they're being kind of courted in free agency, right? Like ownership matters a lot and uh, not all owners are created equal. I mean, from a wealth standpoint, there's no doubt that some some groups are much wealthier than other groups. Now you're in a really hard time. To me, that advantage is only more pronounced, right? Like if you're Steve Ballmer, I mean, you're going to lose a lot of money from the stock market plunging like it has, right? But you're still going to have a ton more than the average NBA owner. So you're not going to need to be like worried about trimming payroll or a luxury tax or any of this other stuff. It like doesn't even really apply, right? If you need to, uh, you know, pursue your arena building plans, as, you know, just as before, and it's going to require a lot of upfront money, this isn't going to hurt you. But an average NBA owner who maybe has one-tenth of Steve Ballmer's wealth is going to be looking at those kinds of questions very differently and potentially changing plans um, very differently. And so I think that's just kind of an important thing to keep in mind here is that, like, anytime there's, uh, you know, tough times, the, the organizations that are on the most stable financial footing are obviously going to have a big advantage. All right, so now let's go to the part two of this is the schedule. So if we actually – which seems to be and, and the news today, by the way, that they have closed down all of the practice facilities to all the players. So and the players are also not allowed to go to any public gyms at all. Like there's a very difficult concept of when this gets lifted of of when these players are how these players actually are ever in NBA level shape. It's one thing for me to be joking about the fact that I'm like going to be in better shape than ever. Cause I can go ride my Peloton and do my home gym and, you know, do whatever I, my echelon fit or do my whatever. And, you know, lift my weights and I'm going to be great because I'm not eating out every night and I'm not eating four chocolate chip cookies in the media room. But like I'm a 50 year old, 49 year old scrub and but trying to be an NBA athlete is a totally different game. And so these guys actually have very little access to workout, not to mention to work out at the elite level they need to. How do you, we how in their health do they get ready to play again? 
Look, you know, I talked to an executive who's been uh, ahead of the curve here on the coronavirus basically the whole way through the last month or so. And when when we heard about that CDC ruling of, hey, you guys have to be out two months, I mean, he basically texted me and said, look, season over, playoffs in jeopardy. I mean, that was sort of his takeaway from that. Because of all these logistic uh, things that you're describing, I mean, imagine if you're a player right now, and let's say you're on a lottery team. Um, they're telling you you can't play for two months. Well, you know, in a best-case scenario, even if you're back in June, that's way after when you were expecting your season to end because you thought your season was going to end in three weeks, right? So if you're on a lottery team and you have to come back and play meaningless games in the middle of the summer, it changes your entire uh, summer. So, like, if you were going to vote on it and you're in that situation right now, you're probably thinking, you know what? I'd rather just stay on break. Like, it's not that I'm lazy or I don't want to work out or whatever else, but it's just, like, very strange to say, okay, I'm just going to pick up and try to get myself back into shape for a couple games down the stretch that don't matter, and then we're going to go forward and not really have an off season because it's going to start running into next year, right? Like the logistic part of it just gets very, very complicated. And I think that, of course, there's a certain segment of players who are going to say, look, I don't care if we play this in empty arenas at a single-site tournament on a deserted island or on the moon. Like, I want to play no matter what. Guys like LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi Leonard, those type of players are always going to want to be able to chase a title. But I don't think that's necessarily the mood of the entire league. If you surveyed all the players, I don't think that they're feeling that way, especially because a lot of them are rightfully scared or anxious about uh, this disease. And are they going to be able to go back into an arena that's safe, right? So there are real logistical challenges. Here's what I would give Adam Silver credit for. You don't want to cancel the season before you absolutely have to. You don't want to do it in a, in a panic. You don't want to do it as a knee-jerk reaction. You want to give yourself time to survey all the possible options, try to come up with a salvaging-type scenario, uh, and think outside the box, survey the owners, see what they have to say. There's really no rush, and that's the benefit of a hiatus, right? You can go through your entire decision-making process and see if you can resolve some of these logistical challenges. I mean, one thing I've put forward, Locke, what if you had an eight or a 16 team, single site playoffs, empty gym, no fans, but you can at least televise it. That way you can, um, you know, have your broadcast partners a little bit happier. That way you can give all the basketball fans out there uh, something to watch. Uh, you know, that way you can crown a champion, which to me should be the absolute highest priority of any resumption of play. Um, and you can kind of go forward that way. Now, maybe that wouldn't be able to happen until June, but if you did a, a shrunken uh, playoffs, you'd probably be able to pull off a, an eight-team tournament in roughly six weeks, um, and then that way you could crown a champion. It would be different. It wouldn't be standard, uh, but maybe it would be better than nothing. I mean, to me, if I was the NBA, that would be my ultimate goal. It feels a little bit more reasonable than having teams flying back and forth across the country. You know, just do it in one spot. Maybe it's Vegas. Uh, you know, maybe you can have two gyms nearby where you're running like the Western Conference games and the Eastern Conference games. Um, you know, something along those lines. I just don't see any way where you're going to have like a big, you know, a, a big traditional NBA playoffs with the two two one one ones and the travel schedule and fans in the buildings. I just think that's off. He's Ben Golliver, Washington Post. We'll wrap this up, talk a little bit about the schedule that's been bounced about as we continue on Locked On NBA. If you're looking for various offers, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers and all of our sponsors that are there that might be able to help you with different things or give you relief. LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. At the Sloan Conference, there was a... uh, proposal by the Atlanta Hawks CEO 
about changing the schedule, pushing it back uh, so it starts in mid-December and ends in August. Uh, I don't know what that would do to Vegas Summer League. Seems immaterial. What um, What is your thought on this? And is, you know, somebody said to me about Adam Silver, he's been eager to try things. This might be his opportunity to be able to kind of hit the reset button on anything he wants to try something new. What's your thought on whether or not uh, this is going to be the impetus to a new schedule in the NBA? And what's your thought on that schedule? Well, it's a great question. I do think there should be a real priority on not allowing whatever you do with this season to like have too much of a rollover effect on to, to future seasons. So I do think if you get to the point where like you just can't cram it in this summer, I think it's okay. Cancel this year and just try to like pick up the pieces in October. I think that's a reasonable backup plan. I know that would be heartbreaking to a lot of people, especially the superstars who are in the middle of that playoff push as uh, this news came down. But, you know, you don't want to be in a position where you're trying to condense next year's 82 games into a a smaller window and setting up players for potential injuries and other logistic issues. Now, in terms of redoing the NBA calendar, I'm open to it. I wouldn't say that I have very strong feelings one way or the other on the Christmas start date and the August end date. Um, You know, if there's games, I'm going to show up. So, you know, I'm kind of – you know, I'm kind of at their mercy, and you know, I, I don't really feel strongly. I understand that his basic argument was you don't want to necessarily be uh, be competing quite as much um, with the NFL, and that uh, you know there there's a need for content in the summer, anyways, and, and people will want to tune in. I'm open to that idea, uh, but you know, again, it's to me, I, I don't think it's a cure all. I don't think it's that. You know, is it is it really worth it? I would need to see really compelling financial evidence that it would it would make a big difference. Do you have a feeling one way or the other? So I, the year we started after Christmas, I thought there was something to it. On uh, the lockout, what is it, 11, 12 year? Uh, I thought yep. there was something to it. Uh, I thought not competing with football had real value. I think baseball's in a very serious decline. Uh, I'm not sure I buy And there's no buy. overlap, right? And there's no overlap really between baseball fans and basketball fans. I mean, to me, there's like, you know, some are going to be both, but the diehards for both sports, it seems like two different groups, right? Right, and I do think that football has an enormous impact. Um, So I thought there's something to it. I think there's an interesting aspect to, um, you know, you always hear about how the playoff games are too late. Well, if they're all in the summer and the kids can stay up, does that actually help you, or do kids not care anymore because they're watching it in some other mechanism? Um, So I I don't know. I think there's something interesting to the idea that we start later. Than we do. I, I, I would say that. I, I don't think there's great value to us. If I'm Adam Silver, regardless of coronavirus, and I'm looking at the league, the biggest changes I would address, one is schedule start, and two is conferences should be irrelevant and divisions should be important. Those are the two items that I always think don't make sense to what we're doing. Um. I think there should be well, local, nice thing, regional yeah. rivalries. And when we start in September, and I mean, I can even use the example of the fact that I'm not like my, like locally, I don't go on our sports station all the time during the fall because they're busy with football and we own the rights. Right. Well, for sure. And I, I mean, I get the same thing for sure. Like in terms of media requests, as soon as like the Super Bowl is done, it's like, oh, yeah, it's NBA time. And then like the requests go up from, you know, radio stations across the country. I can relate to that for sure. Um, 
the good thing that we know about Adam Silver is he was already deep into the brainstorming process on this stuff, right? And we also know that he's got smart people around him, and they're going to have a lot of time on their hands, right? I mean, just like us, everybody at the league office is basically working from home now, and they're going to be going stir-crazy just like everybody else because they're all workaholics. They all love basketball like crazy, and they're going to be having these same kinds of conversations that we're having. Now, again, I would be uh, deliberate, and I think that Adam's you know, basic default setting is to be considered in everything he does. So I don't know if he was going to respond to this legitimate crisis, which is probably going to wind up being the biggest challenge of his entire tenure, right? And when we look back on it, I mean, I think ultimately it's a bigger deal than Sterling now already uh, because of the threat to the season. I'm not sure he's going to want to be super reactive to that. You know, I think he would be more thoughtful and, um, you know, just slow moving and deliberate in terms of how he would institute changes. But we know he's already been thinking about changes. So if he has some ideas that are really top of mind for him, uh, this is a, a potential opportunity to, uh, to experiment. Uh, but, you know, again, I, I don't feel strongly personally, like if the finals are in August or June, you know, I'm going to be there either way. Final thing on this. If player health is as important as we've made it to be, not coronavirus player health, just player health. Like, I don't actually know how we do this schedule wise, right? Like, so let's say best case scenario, we get this thing up and running in June and then you play maybe a half of a regular season into a pre post and you end in August. Like, are these guys really coming back to the gym in October? That's what I'm saying. Like, I think a lot of players at this point are like, look, this is out of our hands. We don't really know what's up with this disease. It sucks. I think the reality has set in for some players. I've heard that from, you know, various, uh, you know, uh, guys around the league and then also just executives too, where, I mean, of course there is a strong contingent who wants to do whatever they possibly can to play for that title. Right. But I also think that there's a growing sense of dread about how bad this thing could get. And if it gets as bad as some of the experts are predicting in terms of number of infections, in terms of uh, deaths here in the United States, in terms of stress upon hospitals and, and everything else, uh, how is that going to go away quickly enough so that everybody can return to normal and they just put games on, right? And I think that uh, that reality is starting to settle in for a lot of people. Let, let me leave us on this thought. I'll let you react to it, but let, let me leave us on this thought in regards to schedule. Because it just became clear to me. Like, if I'm Adam Silver and you're saying you don't want to be too reactionary, I'm sitting in front of everyone. I'm saying two things. There's one thing is that there's no true value to us starting when we do. There's there's no value to it. What we and what we don't know is whether or not we can serve our TV partners as well in June, July, and August as when as we can in April, May, and June. We don't know that. And the, the, the feeling has always been TV audience dips in those months, and so we don't want to be in those months. That's always been the theory. That's been what's been talked about whenever you discuss this. Let's find out. Let's use this as the opportunity to find out. And then, depending on what you discover, and maybe you do it for two years, you then can start to adjust back, right? You can always say, instead of starting... You know, you obviously don't want to necessarily start, you know, we're starting June here. So you start Christmas in the future, but you could push that back to December 1st and start and push that back to even November 15th and just continue to work your way 
back a little bit each year, spread out the schedule, give players more time off, do whatever you need to do based on what you learn on that. But I actually think if the NBA can get this season underway and play in June, July, and August and see what those national TV numbers are, it would be an incredibly important data for them, particularly if they do it for two years. So I hear you on the data point and the value of that for sure, because that's going to be the most natural counter argument is no one wants to watch during the summer, right? Everybody's traveling numbers are going to be down. A lot of the prestige television shows always try to line it up before the summer or in the fall so that they can maximize viewership. I'm not an expert on that kind of stuff. So I would de- de- uh, defer to the experts. The one thing I'd say is I'm really big on routines, right? So if, if they decide it's December 25th, let's rock with that and just always have that. If they decide it's, uh, you know, mid-October like they have currently, let's rock with that and, and stick with that. I mean, to me, it's just like you, you do want to kind of give your fans, your media members, and everybody else who's paying attention the known quantity aspect. I do think there's there's value to that so people could kind of set their schedules around what you're doing and everything else. But, um, you know, we'll see. I mean – there's going to be a lot of motivation financially for them to try to get something back on. There's no question. And, and unfortunately this, it just could be bigger than the league. Right. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's not just them alone. I mean, baseball is going to struggle to get back. Um, soccer, hockey are facing similar challenges. And, you know, anytime the NCAA cancels March madness, you know, things are dire, right? Because I mean, that's like a billion dollar decision that they had to make in the blink of an eye or, or basically in a 24 hour period and we know uh, an organization like that that's so focused on uh, profit-making doesn't make that kind of a call lightly. And so, uh, you know, I, I think everybody's kind of in the same boat here. He is Ben Golliver. Read him on the Washington Post. He'll be covering some sports and maybe some news here as well. Or wait, those have been intermixed the entire time he's been at the Washington Post. <laughs> I'm David Locke. Thanks for tuning in to Locked in NBA. Anthony and Adam will be with you tomorrow. Right now, tell your smart device to play podcast Rejecting the Screen.